Welcome, it's time for Peer Pressure. Today's guest is Artie Shepard of the band Primitive Weapons. He is a guitar player. He's also one of the proprietors of the St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn, and we will hear stories from him that may make you chuckle and some music that you'll be really psyched to hear. So there. Thanks to Lita Martinez for editing the podcast and to Liz Berg for all the other podcast duties. We are WFMU. Did that one work? That one yeah, works. All right. Fantastic. I would like to welcome Artie Shepard. Hey. Welcome to you? the airwaves. In this beautiful studio. In this little, uh, it's so funny because every year when we do our fundraiser, we switch studios and all the DJs complain about this being a cramped studio. And I'm not going to complain about that. This is so not cramped. <laughs> well, you did radio. Where did you do radio? At Hofstra University. For, huh. I was a radio broadcasting major, actually. Oh, you were? Yeah. What it, you me- remember that? Remember that here. existed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they still have those radio, the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. And yeah. Why? I'm, not, I'm confused. I, I don't like, know. You know. I mean, like, wh- why you would do that to yourself is beyond me, but... And, and what, what really do you learn? Uh, I don't know. You How to push a button that somebody else tells you to push? I don't know. Isn't that <laughs> life? I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> was that High on Fire song was called Waste of Tiamat? Yes. Wow. So it's like his excrement, Tiamat's excrement, is what they're trying to say. Is that what they're trying to get to? Get I, to? I think, you know, I had actually taken it as sort of like the wasted talents of Tiamat. Perhaps. Oh, okay. All right. I wasn't like, sure. Like, if the, like, that's a waste of Tiamat. If the <laughs> As a resource. Uh, I, uh, yeah, he is a rich resource for <laughs> song titles, right. apparently. Yes, know. and band names and, and all types Lyrics, of... Lyrics, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because I did have to wiki. I'm like, so what is the Tiamat? Because it just appears far too... Is it like a Sumerian god or something? No, I, I mean, I kind of know. I'm not going to admit that I know, but... It's Tiamat, <laughs> in, in Babylonian mythology, yeah, Tiamat is a chaos monster, a primordial goddess of the ocean, mating with Absu. Oh, well. So there you go. So Tiamat and Absu should play together. Absolutely. And we have to do some kind of, like, Maybe we should, we should throw Tiamat on the Absu shows we have coming up. That's every, right, you do. Day. Yes, 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 yes. <clears throat> so, and you are one of the proprietors, shall I say, of the St. Vitus Bar? Yes, yes, in uh, Is, in is that how you like to be known, the proprietor? I, you know, I try and, I try and avoid it. If somebody asks, is the owner here, I, I say no. But <laughs> you say no, and what do you want? Yeah, well, exactly. And well, then if uh, they go, oh, I wanted to give you something wonderful you could say hang on a minute <laughs> well there's lots of us who can answer yes so yeah you know it's uh it's not it's nothing special being a proprietor over there <laughs> well yes and it is i guess uh, is it taken on as a collective uh no uh not when you have to i mean the bar business uh, opening any sort of service business is so expensive so a mm. uh, collective if you call a business partnership with somebody who has lots of money that's a collective sure huh. okay okay <laughs> But you know, all it's uh, it's essentially like taking loans and paying them back over time, and you know, it's the same thing anybody who opens a business would have to deal with unless they're independently wealthy, mm-hmm. which we are definitely not. So, not. Yeah. And and was there a concept when you sort of started, or how did the actual beginnings of the Saint Vitus Bar come about? Um, pretty much, uh, George and I uh, was my one of my partners. He uh, we worked at a, another bar, and we would. I mean, believe it or not, and this is kind of crazy, but I used to not be allowed to play metal um, at the old bar that I worked at. Oh. So, uh, and many of the bars I worked at, I couldn't play metal. And uh, it really wasn't cool. And I know in Greenpoint and Williamsburg now, there's lots of 22-year-old girls with vests and patches on it, like mm-hmm. stuff I never saw in the 80s, ever. Right. Um, and like, it was, uh, it's sort of interesting how like we would play, you know, like the boss would leave and we'd. You know, George and I were super into metal as kids, so we were like, oh, yeah, we put on Yngwie Malmsteen or, like, <laughs> something really kind of fun. Yeah. And and people would react. And I, I, I one time I had this – this is a great story. I, at one time I worked at this bar called Bar 4 in Park Slope, which – it's in Park Slope, okay? Totally out of leagues to play metal. And we were having a problem with after hours and people staying too late. So I was like, well, I got this great idea to get rid of people. Mm-hmm. At 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, I will play an hour of black metal. Because it sounds absolutely horrifying through speakers in a public place. And (laughs) I dressed up as a monk and put like this upside down cross that would that would reflect on the on the wall. Lovely. 
Exactly. And uh, and we I called it the unhappy hour. And <laughs> and uh, my idea was to charge double for drinks as well, but they didn't go for that. Yeah. And uh, and it actually caught on, and people started showing up for it. Oh, cool. So yeah, so like there was sort of this shift around like you know maybe two thousand six, two thousand seven, mm-hmm. where everybody stopped trying to be in the new Interpol, and everybody started trying to be in the new Stoner Rock Band. Yes. So it kind of like made a shift. You could stand in the middle of my practice space and listen to the other bands and go, "Oh, that's what's going to be cool." Sort of like walking down 6th Street at South by Southwest and going, oh, yeah, oh, right. So next year, that's what's going to be cool. Right. So, um, yeah, so we would play metal all the time. We saw the reaction. And when this opportunity came, eventually my boss gave in to us playing a little bit heavier stuff. And he was, oh, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. He actually threatened to break our DJ's knees for playing Metallica once. No joke. <laughs> um, anyway, so so we decided, you know, when we got this opportunity that we were going to do, not necessarily a metal bar, but... You know, a, a geeky music bass bar, which is kind of what we turned the old place we worked it into, mm-hmm. whether it be obscure 70s rock or like we were always sort of like it was a total music geek situation. People walk in and go, oh, my God, is that Emmett Rhodes? Like, yeah, that's Emmett Rhodes, dude. Yeah. You know, like stuff like that, it was, which was always cool. And we opened the place. And we, at first we didn't want it to be a music venue because music venues open up a whole world of problems and extra things you have to do. But... We quickly realized our first show was Liturgy, and oh, cool. um, and it was packed and it was killer and it was like one of those things where like, okay maybe we should do this more often and of course we saw the numbers go up when we had good shows, so we had an events manager and I just said go for it dude and he did an incredible job sort of like shaping the place I you know I was sort of like a filter he would come to me and go is this cool. I go, yeah, this is cool. But he knew what was cool way more than I knew what was cool. So I was like, yeah, whatever, dude. You think people will come? Go for it. But he booked stuff like Chelsea Wolf, And, mm. you know, like he was booking stuff that's really super cool now, you know, in our little room. And it was awesome. And, like, we made friends with the people at Pitchfork and the people at Brooklyn Vegan, now Invisible Oranges, that sort of thing. And, and everybody, you know, our space sounded good. It was reliable. And it just kind of went from there. So, you know, and I was more than happy, you know, like I was really happy to see the community, the metal community and the punk community that existed already sort of come out of the woodwork and have like a common place to go. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, that was kind of nice, too. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. You know, when there's lots of bands that are really interesting and there's lots of people who are coming out to support, it reminds me of our scene on Long Island in, you know, in the early 90s. And it was like, you know, really it's cool. It's good to see. There's a lot of great bands. A lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, the uh, the St. Vitus calendar is pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, and again, like now, like things have kind of come around where a lot of the bigger booking agents come to us, whereas we used to have to like, you know, Dave would have to like make meetings and do all this stuff. And he still does. You know, it's all about sort of creating these events, mm-hmm. you know, and creating these moments. And, uh, you know, we like to do it more and more as much as possible. You know, it's always about moving forward. It, you know, eventually we're going to grow out of our space, but, right. you know, but then we do two nights, so it's okay. <laughs> we can't fit them in one night. We'll do two nights. Right. It's fine. Yeah, that's easy enough. Yeah. Who thought of the name St. Vitus? I, uh, actually, I did, but it was sort of one of those things. George showed up at work one day, We, you know, right when we found the space, mm-hmm. and we were like, we got to come up with a cool name. And I was like, what about like a record, a band name or, or an album name or something? And he's like, okay. And he had found this magazine from 1985 with like Dio on the cover and Raven and like all this. Mm. It was so weird. And I was like, okay, I'm going to open up the page. And the first thing I point to is what the name of the bar is going to be. And I opened it up and it was St. Vitus. Wow. And, uh, and I just looked at it and I said it to him and he goes, that sounds cool. And of course we have, you know, other partners that had to agree to it. Um, another Justin, uh, being one of the main ones, especially at that time. And, uh, and we were just, he was like, yeah, it sounds great. And I figured it was like, it screamed rock bar at the very least. Yeah. And like you, you, you weren't going to question what you were walking into, mm-hmm. you know? So if you heard, you know, Hellstar on the system, you're not going to be like, what is this crap? You know, you're right. going to be like, oh yes, yeah, is awesome. You right. know? It's not yeah. like mystery bar. Right. It's not, know? yeah. Like, you're not going to black, like, but it doesn't infer. You're not going to hear where the streets have no name. When you walk in, right. you know, so, right. so don't expect it. Yeah. Mumford and Sons isn't coming anytime <laughs> soon. So, yeah, that was kind of, I thought it said it without being too over the top, you mm-hmm. know, and the association was great. And, you know, eventually, I mean, Winos played the place like five times and, you know, a, and St. Vitus played, which was really great because we tried to get them for our opening day. And at the time it was like, ah, it's way too expensive what they wanted, you know. Right. 
And then, you know, a year later, we were able to do it. And it was great. I was like, that's, you know, it just shows how much we had grown. So it was mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny that that is so random, like literally random on how you chose the name. Yeah. <laughs> and it could have been, so it could have been called Raven, but I think that No, it, it wouldn't be called Raven. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the, that the, that the, the terminology, I mean, just as words, as a band name, St. Vitus, really works just because it's got that sort of saint thing in the front of it. Well, it works yeah, as a location. I forgot to mention that, like, you know, the, there was a church theme that we wanted layout-wise. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, we were we were even getting as crazy as to make the bathrooms into confessionals and, like, stuff like that. <laughs> but nice. that was way too expensive. Well, you do have the – there's sort of like a velvet curtain, and there is – the, correct me if I'm wrong, but the handles on the bathroom doors are upside down. Crosses. Yeah, they are. Most people they don't are. notice that, but I yes, that. they are. Yes. Uh, uh, well, what's funny about that is that we've had uh, numerous artists who wouldn't play until we took the upside down crosses out, including St. Vitus. And, uh, really? Yeah, a certain member of theirs is born again until oh. he has enough drinks and then he's not so much. But yeah. the. Uh, the, the Basically, Wino came up to me and he was just like, hey, man, can you please take that upside down cross off the window? It's like. We're not going to be able to play if you don't. And I was like, all right, cool. So I took it down. We took all the ones from behind the bar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, all of that stuff is sort of like this sort of rebellious symbolism. It doesn't really mean anything because if I believed in Satan, I'd believe in God and I don't. So it doesn't really work. Right. The one without the other. Right. Kind of thing, yeah. But it's all that symbolism that sort of like it to me is this anti-society, anti-mainstream. And, you know, I, I like growing up very devoutly Roman Catholic. It's, you know, and Merciful Fate being my and Black Sabbath be my first in intros into that sort of world. It was like, yeah, upside down cross. That's so sick. You know. <laughs> Meanwhile, like my mom's pushing me to go in the seminary at the same time. Right, <laughs> right. Like, oh well, you, you know, you could somehow work the two of them. Oh, absolutely. I think so. Yeah. You know, yeah. it would it would have been a much different life, but I think uh, you know. So you don't have like um like you don't have seances or or like employee meetings that center around oh, what, the blood rituals did you yes, read the, the village ritual. voice this week with this story about like yeah we do blood rituals at and and like at rehearsal to write our black metal songs but now one of the members is v vegan or vegetarian so we can't use real blood anymore what do you i was like what are, are you what Who people actually do this uh, you should pick up last week's voice it was in last week's voice i was like what are they completely run out of stuff to write about yeah between i mean uh, whatever anyway <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was serious or not. I like read half of it and just closed and went, "Oh my god, I don't, I can't read this anymore." Right. But no, we do not have rituals. Although it is my dream, mm -hmm. either on Halloween or on Christmas Eve, to do a full black mass in the back room. That okay. I would love to see that. Mm -hmm. Just the full theatrics of it. It'd be so cool. The naked altar, everything. Right. So any Church of Satan members out there, get in touch. Yeah, you want to do they, it? They have a free I'm here. day. Just don't kill. You're not going to kill anything live. I know that doesn't. It's not part of it. It's just yeah. a myth. Right. But uh, yeah, it's uh, that's my dream, just for fun, mm -hmm. you know. It's like I think it would be pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Christmas Eve, you know, I'd invite my mom. Would she? No, 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 no. She's uh, yeah. Hopefully, she's the not support listening. goes only so far. She stops uh, at the at the uh, the black mask. I'll tell you where the they've never seen me play live, mm -hmm. and they've never been at the bar. So I think my mom would have a heart attack if she walked in. But that's okay. She did see my room as a kid. It was just as bad. Right, right. <laughs> Everything behind the bar is basically from my room. <laughs> <laughs> so um, right now you're in Primitive Weapons. Yes. And uh, what's can you get the listeners up to speed on what's going on with you guys? Uh, Primitive Weapons is uh, currently writing our next record, um, which we will be releasing on Sacrament uh, Music, which is our new record. Uh, our first one came out. Oh, well, we've I'm now had three different labels, so... The last one came out on Prosthetic. The one before that came out on Shinebox, uh, which is uh, actually our manager's label. And then we're going to do this one ourselves. And yeah, it's uh, just writing, you know, it's it's a hard process. Everybody's so busy doing other things. You know, we have, everybody's in eight, I'm in four bands. Like everybody's in like Are you really? Band. Yeah. I mean, most of them are, you know, sort of like, hey, let's rehearse. And, you know, and we'll write like six songs and we'll go and record them. And it's really cool. But, you know, it's like, everybody's so busy that you can't really get it that much together. Mm -hmm. It's always like, okay, we got these six songs recorded. We'll, you know, do this soon. It's, it's very much a Brooklyn thing to be in 8 billion bands. So you have to, you have to like sort of like, uh, 
somehow make up for you have to have a lot of bands in a practice space because it's so expensive to have one so it's like so i have four bands and this way i can split the rent that much more time right with all those other (laughs) that's funny it's very impractical to be in a band (laughs) so when do you see a uh recording date then you said you're in the writing i'm hopefully in may i'm trying to like i've you know i've some pretty vast uh um, ambitions writing wise you know I want to write the the hardcore metal version of Jane's Addiction three days and I'm like all right we're gonna do this we're gonna make this grandiose song and like you know it's just stuff like that that will probably wind up being like a three-minute song and you know <laughs> you got to take it on and see what happens I try, I'm trying yeah. I'm trying you know it's I do it all at home and then I'm like okay guys let's do this let's do that yeah. and everybody's like I don't want to do that I'm like okay and then it's two months of going back and forth. So, And then it turns out in a completely different way. Yeah, and, and then I'm just got... like, that riff's cool. Let's do that for two minutes. This is the chorus. Song's done. All right, cool, guys. Let's go. So <laughs> so every song, so, so you're saying every Primitive Weapon song, you know where it came from. Like, oh, this should have been a riff from this band and this, oh, yeah. this and this. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I this could, is what it's turned into. I could play the demos of stuff. Right. A lot of times, because our bass player is away a lot, I'll just go and play with our drummer. Mm-hmm. Then I bring it home and I add stuff on. Put, I put in Pro Tools, add stuff on, and then send it around everybody. And, you know, just to like get like, that's really cool or, you know, that sucks. So... Yeah, that's kind of the way it's been going for a while, which is kind of a pain. I, I prefer the band atmosphere and everybody contributing, mm-hmm. you know, but whatever. You do what you can in the modern age, you know. I'm not in my friend's parents' basement anymore rehearsing. So Right, yeah. And are you the primary songwriter? Musically, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, uh, Dave writes, mo- if not 99% of the vocals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I throw some stuff in there because I can't help myself, but, you know. I try and step Say back. Satan. Once he sort of proved himself to me that he could really write like catchy stuff, mm-hmm. I kind of stepped back. So the first couple of records, there was a lot, bunch of choruses I wrote and stuff like that. But then he, he kind of like went in and just killed it. And I was like, all right, dude, this is all you. Yeah. I prefer, you know, the 29-year-old guy to write this stuff as opposed to old dude, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> old, dude, old dude stuck in the 90s, you know. It was a glorious time when average musicians could become famous. It was really... It was. What was your first musical influence that had you really realize that that shift in music could happen like that that average people could become famous black sabbath yeah i mean it was like it's simple but it's so good mm-hmm. you know and uh like i i could immediately play it i was like oh i could play this it was never i was never one of these guys who like like the ramones like oh i like this this is cool i never liked the sex pistols i never liked any of that stuff but i grew up listening to black sabbath and the beatles so kirk cobain always i always said he he said it best. It was like Nirvana is Kurt, is the Black Sabbath meets the Beatles. And a lot of that era was, you know, it's like it's perfect that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, of course, never thought of that until he said it. And I was like, oh, yeah, totally. It makes sense, you know. And since then, I mean, you know, I don't know. Like that was like my whole thing was playing those songs. That and Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. you know, which was way harder to play. But, you know, I, I felt like Jimmy Page's songwriting was so incredible. Like, just the layering and everything was just, like, mind-blowing. And the world music and all that stuff. I was always loved the Eastern feel. Same thing with the Beatles. Like, I love George Harrison songs. I always mm. thought that was so interesting how that was brought in and became almost mainstream. It was like, you know, just from one person. Yeah. One person made all of that happen. Right, that's true. It's It's pretty, you know, it's culturally significant, which, you know, you go through the line of musicians. You know, you get cultural significance, the Beatles and, well, Paul McCartney especially and Kurt Cobain. Jimi Hendrix, Tony Aomi, that sort of thing. They're all left-handed, by the way. They are. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so am I. Oh, means nothing. That's why he brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, Black Sabbath was the big one for me, and mm-hmm. then later Merciful Fate, and you know, a lot of Voivod was just like from outer space. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Now yeah. all the listeners have just gone, oh, that's why he's here because he's a Voivod <laughs> fan, and. Have you listened to the new Voivod record? I did. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard for me. Like, I think the the thing about like the emotional state you're in when you when you first start listening to music as as a teenager, you're so influenced. You don't have all this convoluted stuff in your head, so it doesn't touch me the way that you know, in a good way, mm-hmm. uh, that Dimension Hatros did, or or you know that those t- those records because like the nostalgia and the the chemical release in my brain isn't quite the same. Right. Sure. But. But I think it's amazing that they made a record that good at this point, you know, without Piggy. Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. 
I'm, I'm, I think I'm the only Voivod fan in the world who doesn't like Angel Rat, too. But, you know, you can, you can yell at me for that. I think that there's a lot of people who don't like Angel Good, Rat, okay. actually, because I usually talk to people, anybody who's into music, I end up talking to them about Voivod at some point, And I would say that Angel Rat might be their least their least appreciated album. Yeah. 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 You know. But, you know. Especially from the looks of you over there. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm looking at you. Oh, you're looking at me? That okay. sour, the sour yes. Yeah, oh, sadness on my face, angel yeah. rat, not good. Yeah. But that's okay, we forgive them. But yeah, that's that's pretty much, you know, my story. I mean, the my first band was called Mind Over Matter, and, you know, we put out a bunch of records and toured through Europe, and that was like, you know, I basically uh, the best review I ever read of Mind Over Matter record was, this band wants to be Voivod, but they're a bunch of hardcore kids who can't play it that well. And Nice. That was pretty much spot on. Really? At least not for me. The other guys were like, you know, I had a drummer in the band who went on to be in Madball. I had a, you know, mm. like those guys were all sort of like from different places. But, you know, I was writing most of the guitar riffs and they were all these angular weird things. And I was doing my best. Yeah. You know, whether or not I achieved it. Well, it was recognized at least. Yeah, by one person. Right. Well, you don't know. <laughs> And I'm sure a lot of people. No, I do know him. I do know the guy that wrote it. But oh, okay. <laughs> but I was I was happy he wrote anything positive. So. <laughs> that yeah, that's always the thing when you're out there in the spotlight. And people may have read that review and thought, you know what, he's right. I get that. I can hear that because and Voivod's such a technical band that you might not necessarily spot that as a filter. Right. Oh yeah. Totally. I mean yeah. yeah or the other Canadian band, which usually I can't shut up about for hours on end, which is Rush. So. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we recently did this documentary for Converse for Primitive Weapons, and literally the interview with me was an hour about talking. I was, somehow, when he edited it, he managed to edit out everything I said about Rush. I was like, how did you do that? Wow. It was amazing. It was just like, Rush, 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 Rush. <laughs> <laughs> yes and Rush, yes and Rush, yes and Rush. It's always, you know. Like, like Yes is my favorite band of all time. Oh. But I can't cite them as a musical influence because I couldn't ever dream of playing that well. You know, like mm. for me, yes is almost my religion. It's like it brings me to some place that I can't even explain, and it's like an experience. It's just the whole thing is an experience. They have those little breaks in the songs where you hear like, oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, it's all mm -hmm. classical. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's that's what it's based on. But yeah. uh, so as much as I love that band, like they're revered to the point where it's like, okay, cool, but I can't go there. Yeah, because I'm just not going to embarrass myself like that. So right. <laughs> What can I say? I think there's some questions here from the listener. Get out of here. Well, I'm... You're making that up. No, it says... Oh, God, I hope it's somebody who doesn't know me. Well, you know what? I'm going to ask you this... And it better not be from Marty Philly, and I'm not mentioning his name again. Don't mention jerk. his name. I'm going to, you know, I'll ask you this off mic because it's an odd sort of thing, so I'm not sure if it's some inside joke that you and somebody <laughs> else know or if, it's, or if it's one of the listeners commenting and just commenting and you go oh i have no idea what that is which has not, has happened before so you know do you want to um do you want to get into a set of music that is one of the reasons why you are here yeah have you uh, thought about what you wanted to play i did think about it and i put some stuff in a playlist but of course you know it's like it literally goes from uh i don't know asuk to cr the cranes to nice. like you know to genesis so <laughs> it's kind of all over the map. There's even Pink Floyd on here. Wow. Um, I could I could really stretch it. I mean, we've been talking about heavy stuff, so I should really play something heavy, shouldn't I? What kind there's of, no should. There's no should. There's, there's no, no should. should. Okay, this is one of my favorite bands uh, from the late 80s, produced by Dave Mustaine. Saw them open for Megadeth on So Far So Good So What tour. Mm -hmm. um, recently saw them at Gramercy Theater. Um wasn't quite the same, but still nostalgia, chemicals, beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, they're called Sanctuary, and they're from Seattle. Awesome. And World Dane has the greatest metal voice of all time. He does. Rob Halford. Yeah. Let's see if we got we got some stuff here. And what are we playing from Sanctuary? Uh, Ascension to Destiny off Refuge Denied, their first record. And let's is it? Um, there we go. Nice. Yeah.
And we have returned. Ooh, my guest is Artie Shepard. Hello, sir. Hello. And uh, what did we just hear there? Uh, you just heard a band called Lincoln. Um, it was a uh, seven inch on Watermark Records. Uh, that's from like uh, I guess it's in the early '90s. Um, I, I just I remember seeing them. I was in a band called Bad Trip, and we were we went to play. Oh my the, God, you were in Bad Trip. I was in Bad Trip. I yeah, no and we were going to play the first Dayton Straight Edge Fest, and I think believe it was 1993. Wow. And it was headlined by Endpoint, but like they they had um, the night before had like Into Another, and like it, it was a weird. Even they're not Straight Edge at all, but like it was a weird setup. Because they had two shows, they had a day show and like Avail played, mm. and Lincoln played, uh, like, and then the nighttime show with the first band on was Earth Crisis, and so, and I had never, I mean, they were brand new, and it was pretty funny. Um, oh. Yeah, Earth Crisis and Resur- I think believe Resurrection played. It was it was pretty cool. Um, Jersey's own Resurrection, one of my favorite hardcore bands, really great. Um, not the metal resurrection. There's probably eighteen thousand resurrections now. Nobody That's cares a- about band names that are taken anymore. It's kind it's of a free for all. Yeah, that know. is true. Um, but yeah, so that was Lincoln, and they're awesome. And I doubt they're on Spotify or anything. So go search for that if you liked it because it's really good. And then uh, and Sanctuary before that. Yes, which I I could hit that note, but I don't want to right now. <laughs> it's so good. So yes. yeah, it gets me so psyched when that comes on when I'm working. It's the best. So you have some uh, major label experience. I, I yeah, my first one was I was in a band called World's Fastest Car with Walter Schreifels from Quicksand in 1995, um, and uh, that was Island Def Jam. That was basically Walter's deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Walter's deal. Uh, I was just part of the band, but I did that for a couple of years, and it was like, you know, obviously that was the the height of the post Nirvana craze and all of that stuff. So it was really interesting to see how all that stuff worked. And I didn't have another one until 2002 when I got signed to Geffen. Um, and, uh, that was more my deal. And, uh, that was pretty interesting because, you know, you don't usually get crazy budgets ever in your lifetime. So it was like, I was a kid in a candy store. It was like, you know, who do you want to produce your record? Is it, you know, you want to, you know, Jerry Finn or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I chose Bob Ezrin. And for anybody old enough to know who Bob Ezrin is. Yeah. Because um, I like making records old school. Uh, Bob produced the first five Alice Cooper records. Well, the, not the first one, but the from the second one on. Uh, as well as Kiss Destroyer. As well as Lou Reed's Berlin. Yeah. Um, uh, of course, Pink Floyd, The Wall. So it was like a big deal. I mean, I, I literally would just sit there and listen to Bob. Like, Bob, tell me a David Gilmore story, please. You know, this is my <laughs> favorite guitar player. It's all I want to hear about is David Gilmore. I wound up speaking to him on the phone during those recording sessions. David Gilmore? Yeah. Because you just kept on answering. Bob, I'll answer the phone. Yeah, pretty, I'll answer pretty the much. Phone. It would come through. It was like, Your call for ringing. Bob. And he's like, in this, I was like, hello. He's like, oh, it's David Gilmore. Michael came in, had died during the oh, recording. Right. So Bob mm. was in charge of doing the uh, memorial, which mm. he flew to London for. And Gilmore played it. So they, he had called to go over what they were going to play, like what he was going to do. Of course, he played Wish You Were Here. But yeah, it was it was super cool. Like, And there was one particular song that we did on an instruction record where I was like, I got to a point where I was like, mm, the label's not going to do anything with this. So let's just spend lots and lots of money. It was horrifying. <laughs> and this one song, it was this acoustic song. And I was like, yeah, it's like I want it to be like a raga and all this stuff. Literally had like an orchestra uh sitar player a tambour player Stephen perkins from jane's addiction like drum circle who's like an octopus the guy played like eight things at once he was amazing mm. and uh when we tracked that song he's like Stephen perkins is sitting out in the room and i'm like looking across and i'm just like looking at my bass player going like this is so cool <laughs> <laughs> i mean how much cooler does it get than this and, and uh, wait, say the name of your band again it was called instruction mm-hmm. terrible name nobody should ever let me name bands i'm yeah, the worst not, not the best name. it's terrible I, I i thought it was positive and a little bit arrogant i don't know uh, oh oh like this is how it's done exactly oh really yeah that's how you i was sitting on the it? subway and i saw like instructions for an emergency or something and i just saw like the word and i was like oh it'd be cool if we just did that and you know at the time everybody listened to me for some reason i don't know why but it was you know <laughs> i'm the worst at naming naming bands i just i should never be allowed like yeah. So oh, anyway. but the Saint Vitus naming is pretty good. It was uh, yeah, but it was already a cool but, name for somebody. Right. Else. Right. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Not coming up with. Yeah. Right. I didn't come up with primitive weapons. That's a great name, and mm-hmm. Dave came up with that. And I, you know, I should never be allowed. But 
whatever. Such is life. So do you have like a Bob Ezrin story story? I mean, he told me great stories about like David Bowie and mm. Lou Reed and like, you know, he's like all that stuff about those guys being gay. Totally true. Yeah. You know, he's like, tell me stuff like that. Stuff like, you know, having five mistresses in the studio at once when his wife shows up and just like crazy <laughs> doing blow off the console while mixing a record. You know, oh, we were doing Pink Floyd the Wall. Yeah, it's, yeah it was a little high. You know, it's like... <laughs> You know, stuff, uh, pink, great Pink Floyd stories, but most of them just come down to all those guys care about his money, which mm. I find odd since they're very socialist and nowadays they give a lot of their money away. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I'm sure it was like, rah, you know, mm -hmm. just big dinosaur arena rock arguing. Yeah, and where they were in their careers and how long they'd been together. Yeah, and, you know? and it, like the wall was definitely that falling apart period. Yeah, you know? for sure. But I mean, uh, the genius of it is just beyond comprehension. You know, Bob did tell me how they put together the whole story of the wall. Basically, Roger Waters came in with demos and Bob listened to all of them, put them into a storyboard like a movie. Wow. And came back to Roger. They went back and forth. They filled in the gaps, stuff like that. Like really interesting. You know, Bob actually has writing credit on a couple of songs on that record. I think the only one he actually has is the trial, but he did write quite a bit. He had a, I was just thinking about Kiss too. He had some great Kiss stories. That, <sighs> uh I'm not a. I can't stand Kiss. Kiss is like one of my least favorite bands of all time. Mm. Like they're in, they're on the list next to the Red Hot Chili Peppers and 311. <laughs> um, but uh, and Sublime, I, I can keep Ooh. going if you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you were on. What, so was it Instruction that was on that tour that toured with like who did you say you? Toured well, with? I've I, you I've toured with the most god awful radio rock bands you could ever imagine. So it was like uh, it started in America with Puddle of Mud. <laughs> Uh, the next one was Three Days Grace. The next one was Papa Roach. And then we did the um, Project Revolution tour with Linkin Park, which the, the saving grace of that tour was the free Heineken tent and the fact that Snoop Dogg was on it, um, <laughs> which was fun as hell. Uh, and then we toured with Korn for the, next, for the rest of the year. And that was, this, check out this lineup. This is pretty classic. We were on first. Mm -hmm. And I can't complain about playing to eight to 9,000 people a night. Can't really complain yeah. about it. But eight to 9,000 corn fans, different story. Oh. It was us, then Skindred from Wales, who we oh. shared dressing rooms with. And they're awesome. They're still friends, really good people, um, whether you like their music or not. Uh, Breaking Benjamin, who I could live without. Chevelle, who are very, very hmm. good guys. You know, basically, Rock. like they've made the most of being a tool cover band, but <laughs> they, they're really catchy stuff, good dudes. Uh, and corn. And so I'll tell my, my Fieldy story real quick, and then we'll get into some more music. Um, <laughs> so Fieldy had this thing where when you'd walk, you know, it'd be backstage at an arena. So it was like this big hallway. And he'd be walking, and Fieldy would face the wall until you passed him. And then he'd start walking again. He would stop and face the yes, wall? Yes, he would stop and face the wall. And I wasn't sure if it was him just, like, hazing us or if it was, mm. like, him being that guy. But, like, then, like, some people made it onto his bus. And I realized at that point, like, this is, I remembered, oh, this is the guy who made Fieldy's Dreams, quite possibly the worst record ever. And Fieldy's Dreams. I would play it, but I can't, there's too many curses. No, but, um, no, no. no. It, I would not let you play it. Incomprehensibly <laughs> terrible. Yeah. And uh, he basically, like, he, like, they were telling me that, like, he had his solo record playing over the system and he had corn DVDs playing on all the plasma, like, thing. you know, they all had separate buses. And that was Fieldy's bus. Wow. So, I don't know the guy from a hole in the wall, yeah. but it was a little weird. Yeah. But yeah, he liked to face the wall. I don't know. I'm probably going to get killed the next time I'm in California for telling that story. That's, but uh, well, at least you're not <laughs> trying to play, you know, because you would get killed here if you were like, and I'd like to play a corn song now. And I, I have, with all the guests that I've had on, I did have one person play something, and the my my loyal listeners. <laughs> immediately were like bet you wouldn't be playing this on your own diane it's just you know and and that is one of those things i i hate to have to rule with an iron hand and Artie knows yeah i i don't want to meet the wrath of diane that's you know, that's not something i came here for it's all good i think i think maybe i maybe i'll play a cool uh sort of lesser known new wave song to make up for talking about corn has that does that feel good? You can play anything you want. Uh, to I want to play. I want to play a song called "Don't Don't Fall" by the Chameleons, and um, if that's cool, if that's yeah, if that's fitting. And the other thing I did want to just um, ask you about is is what we have going on at St. Vitus. Oh, because yeah, because that's 
Well, there's it's there, ongoing. There is so much. Stvitusbar.com. Just go and check out the many things. We got DRI on Tuesday. That should be uh, wow. with it, Death Cycle Goosebumps Concrete Cross. Yeah, nice. yeah. Well, they already gets another mention. Great. I was not uh, going to say his name. Yeah. Well, that's okay. It's always then, about it's always about him. And Monday, Iron Reagan, and that's uh, a dude from Municipal from, Waste. Yeah. Yeah. Um, torches sold out. Sorry, don't bother trying. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> today's the day. Ken Moore. Black Black Tuscan Fight Amp. I don't think bills really get more stacked than that. That's a great tour. That is. Uh, yeah, that's pretty insane. That's March sixth. Um, and of, uh, this weekend. This weekend we have uh, the well. I mean, we didn't really get into Sacrament Records, which is the new record label that we started. Should we take that on after the break? Yeah, let's take it on after the break. Okay. Um, but this Friday is the record release show for Sonhet, which is our first release. And they're an amazing experimental post-metal whatever. I don't know what to call them, but they don't have a singer. So so they have a light show and projections to Ooh, make up for that. Ooh, but it's uh, but it's really cool. It's it's all very dark and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deaf Heaven, who, were, who we got flying in from San Francisco. So, oh, they're great. Yeah, super yeah. cool. And then Saturday is Acid King, which is going to be great. We got them coming in from Portland, I believe. Yeah, I don't know. I bought, I bought all the plane tickets, so no. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming in from as a, somewhere. As long as they show up. As long as it's not another snowstorm or something stupid, like, you know, which we almost had for Yob, which was, ugh. The, yeah, those, those, uh, that Mother Nature that thing. That pesky weather thing. Yes. Just gets you every time. February in the Northeast. So, for the winter. Chameleons? What on earth are you talking about? We have returned. My guess is Artie Shepard. Oh, the glorious sounds of Super Drag. Yes. Uh, I'm like a, I'm, I'm a supreme fanboy of John Ooh. Davis. A oh. Huge. Oh my God, it's so good, <laughs> so good. I, I I got to become friends with those guys, and I was like, I was such a little kid. Like, oh my God, you guys are so great. You know. And meanwhile, like nobody really bought their records <laughs> at the time, at least. I know when they did their reunions, they did a. Uh, they had a bit more, but yeah, John's born again now, so I don't get to drink with him anymore. He won't come to the St. Vitus bar then, probably. Uh, well, you never know. You didn't, I, You'd you have know. to take care of the upholstery a little bit. Pro- probably not. I mean, you know, he's got kids and stuff. Is it, what, mm-hmm. what reason does a born-again straight guy have to come to St. Vitus, really, you know? If there's no show going on, if you want to come right. and see a show, that's great. Right. It's all good. Right. But, you know. Right. And speaking <laughs> of St. Vitus, we do have a, a question from a listener who wants to know if you've kept a record of every band that has played at St. Vitus and uh, wants to know if there's any particular memories of like, well, he suggested some bands, but but who have you been really excited to be able to have playing at a place that you own? Well, yes, I do have a master list of every band that's played. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean... It's my experience is way different because I don't get to see a lot of the shows. Um, I kind of have to react to them, which is, you know, like I know that oh, person. When, you mean when you're working? Them, yeah. Kind of, so yeah. you can't stand there and watch. No, no. Most times yeah. if I'm there, I'm, I'm, you know, I can't really be in the building without actually working. It's yeah. Not, not really a possibility. But the but a lot of times I'm bartending. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, that takes away from the whole thing for me personally. Um but yeah, I mean, he mentioned the Descendants, so that person mentioned the Descendants, he or mm-hmm. she. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I don't like the Descendants. Oh. Um, and, and that, that was a, like an emergency show, wasn't it? It was, it was like was. a rain out or something. Yeah, and if they weren't so awesome, you know, <laughs> it was it was because of my connection to Hot Water Music that mm. the whole thing sort of came together, uh, along with the right people being in the right place at the right time during that show being canceled. 
um, one of my partners was there, and it sort of like all came together. I was on the phone with Jason from Hot Water Music, and he called me. We were on the phone. And he goes, "Hey, man, the Descendants just walked in. Do you mind if they play?" And I was like, <laughs> "That's a funny question." Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, okay." And literally, there was three hundred people. And the promoter of that show tweeted about it, the show being in Sevilla, so a thousand people showed up. Yeah, and then people were just miserable and pissed off the whole time, and mm. like. And I was like, you know, we we can't fit that many people. So, you know, it's like it's like this isn't your replacement show for the four thousand capacity show on the waterfront. This right. is like a, a little thing that's happened, and if you found out about it, you're lucky, and that's it. And right. it, it was a it was a very trying day. But um, I mean, bands I've been really excited about. Um, I mean, it's what's cool is I've gotten to see a lot of stuff that I've been really excited about, like Vector, who mm. I just think blow the doors off of all retro thrash stuff because it's not really retro it's it's just so good yeah like seeing them live is just phenomenal um yeah i don't know i mean this band sonhet who we're putting out like that's that's been really exciting watching them get better and better and and just really killing it uh i you know it's so funny i'd have to look through a list to think about bands that i've just been like oh my god that was the best show ever well at least you have the list i do have the list yes, yes. i have a list and the list gets grows more and more. i mean I, i'm really excited about torch like yeah. it's, they're a great band who I've loved for a long time. They Absolutely. they do this great bounce. Ba- they almost sound like a downtune version of Jawbox, which I think is super cool. Yeah, um, they're always happy. Yeah, they are. Although uh, maybe not in person. I guess I'll find out. Oh, uh, absolutely in person. In per- oh, oh good. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, who knows? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you and Steve will talk about Voivod. It's all good. Oh, sweet. I'm yeah. always excited to do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I'm excited about anything that that other people are excited about honestly that's kind of what it's come down to um but yeah we were going to talk about sacrament which i'd like to well bring that's up. what yeah because you did bring up sanhat which is the first sacrament release yes and so let's talk about exactly what sacrament is and how it came about uh it's an idea that i've had for a long time um i thought it would be a cool extension of the bar the thing about it is that starting a record label is the dumbest business move you could possibly make <laughs> uh in this day and age um because it just doesn't make money it hemorrhages money for the most part but you know we thought like if we could at least maybe cover our costs uh and promote like we get a lot of attention through the bar and and there were certain bands that we were like we'd like to help mm-hmm. these bands get that attention as well we wanted basically i wanted to share it with bands that we thought were really good and uh and we kind of you know it it seems to have worked out you know we've like a lot of people have paid attention to the big metal websites and stuff like that so it's it's really good and uh, you know pitchfork is doing a full review of sonhet which is you know may not be a big deal to a lot of the listeners here but it is a big deal in you know worldwide perspective sure as tastemakers so you know but it goes beyond that it's all the reaction's been incredible and for me it's almost it feels like really good it's like my you know my like my children are like killing it and it's great it's like i was right it is good so that's it's a really that's an awesome feeling. I love being involved in that way where I don't have to be in the band. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really, really cool. But uh, basically, Sonhet was the reason that we started the label. I wanted to put the record out. Dave and, uh, Dave and I sort of talked about it. And we were just like, let's just do it. you know. And that's kind of how it happened. And now Dave's other band, White Widows, comes out on March 1st. Oh, cool. Um, and we just agreed to our third artist, mm-hmm. uh, which is a band called Strangelight, um, which is the dudes from Made Out of Babies. Oh. Uh, and Jeff Rickley from Thursday, nice. and it's uh, it was a little experiment that they did where they wrote and recorded everything in six days, mm-hmm. and uh, it's awesome, awesome. I bet I'd play it if it was mastered, but it's not mastered. So. Yeah. Um, but we're sort of in talks. We're we're kind of ready to go with them. Uh, we just have to sort of move forward with it. You know, we just did a distro deal with In Grooves and all this stuff, so I'm kind of working out some things. But anyway, that's basically the deal with Sacrament and uh, that and going to the post office. Which, <laughs> which I have a post office phobia, and I had to go today, and it's just so. Oh. Like, I had to get the pre orders out. It's like, ah. and what's the phobia about? I just hate it. I walk just in there and I just get hives. I can't stand it. Is it the standing in line? The it's it's. Can you pinpoint exactly what it is? It's the when you go to the counter and you got those bulletproof things, and like you got it's mm. just like it's just and people are just miserable, miserable. It's like, it's like going to a bar and having the worst bartender ever. Uh, you know, yes. and like it just makes you uncomfortable. But like that doesn't happen that often. At the post office, happens every time. <laughs> I 
It's just chaotic. I guess people it's are yelling. Your post office. People are yelling. Those just... people have like the jobs. I mean, I know they're upset about possibly not having delivery on Saturdays anymore, but uh... well, because their hours get cut. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, but at the same time, it's uh, they do have great pensions and all that other stuff, and you know, but they're they're just very angry, and mm. you know, I. That's not my experience at post offices uh, at all. Well, Diane, actually. you're lucky. I guess. You're lucky. I don't know, but that's the I I kind of Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just like, you know, this negative Nelly that I, my energy just goes out and You expect them to be mean. Probably. So they just are just go to in, fill my expectations. the next time you go to the post office, expect them to be nice. Okay. That's just It'll be soon. It's okay. lots of lots of lots of Sonnet vinyl to get sent. So. Good. <laughs> good, good. How many did you press? How, what's the pressing on the Sonnet? Uh, it's 200 color vinyl. Okay. Um uh, um yeah so it's 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 limited but uh yeah it's cool i'm very excited about the whole thing and did you decide how the pressing was going to be or did you sort of talk to the band about that and uh yeah we all decided together Mm -hmm. um it's very much a partnership thing like you know it was uh, we want the label to be that in general you know like the the band has the passwords to everything for (laughs) for all of our various things so you know it's like like there's you know transparency in the whole thing and it's like i said it's it's a labor of love and it's you know it's a way for bands that we love to get heard and that's really like the important part you know like i no no i have no sort of like weird thing where i'm like oh i'm gonna make money or i'm gonna make a living off of this it's like that's never ever ever gonna happen yeah so, probably not the best way to go into uh, it's the way i go into everything because it's just yeah. been you know it's again it's that degree in master's degree in punk rock it's you just you learn yeah, it. Punk cool. rock, punk rock one hundred and one is lose money. Like, right. Oh, damn. Right. Unless you're Green Day or something. I don't know. Well, Blink one eighty two is that really punk rock? No, though? I was gonna say there's there's definitely a a line there. <laughs> and uh, you're the first primitive record. Re- primitive weapons record. That yeah, band. it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Yeah. I had no idea it was gonna be that hard to say. <laughs> did Did Alex Newport record that? He did. Yeah. How did that come uh, about? Alex did a couple of records by my old band Godfire's Man. Um, we became friendly. I, you know, I can't remember how Alex and I became friendly, but I mean, I was a, a pretty big Fudge Tunnel fan. Yeah. Um, I really, really like his work. I think he's really good. And when we talked to him about doing the record, he wanted to do no Pro Tools at all. Mm. Everything. I was like, I was the only way it was coming out was digital and vinyl. So he was like, let's make a record that's meant to be made for vinyl. And I was like, awesome. So mm. that's kind of how we did it. And uh, it was all to two inch. And then you know, like. There, there was no, like everything was mixed. It was mixed with automated board, but it wasn't mixed in Pro Tools. Yeah. So everything was sort of outside of that, which mm-hmm. was a really cool. You know, it was like making a record in the nineties. Yeah. You know, it was, but it was a a great experience. Super cool. Cut and tape. Love cut and tape. Nice. I learned how to do that. The old tape. school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's that is that is neat. Um, and can you go over again? Because I, I, what was the, what's the name of the release uh, of the Made Out of Babies sort of spinoff band? Strange Light. Strange Light. Yeah, I'm sort of, pre- I'm, I'm probably too preliminary in talking about that, but, but it seems like it's it's happening, and I'm very uh, very excited about it. So. And what else is Primitive Weapons doing? You're you're recording. Yeah, no, we're you're writing we're, now. We should be recording in May. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the basic plan. But it's you know again, it's very collective sort of idea. So. We just do as we can. There's, you know, we can't really put the pressure on. There's no point in doing that. Right. <laughs> and was the deal with Prosthetic a one record deal, or were you? Yeah, are you actually? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's it was. Not like it was like getting a, out of a deal. Yeah, it was like an option thing, and like mm-hmm. we we both like mutually were like, hey, we, you know, we're gonna do this ourselves. And I noticed like, okay. that about that label. There's a lot of bands that put out one record on Prosthetic, and I'm not sure if that's how they operate, if that's what they choose to do, or if it's, you know. So, but yeah, I'm yeah. not sure either. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what you had said to me um, the other day when we were talking was that you were a Sundance guy, and I guess yes. the other guys at the bar were. Well, the, George was uh, was, was a, a Lamore's guy. Lamore, Lamore's yeah. guy. What's your your I don't know most colorful recollection of the Sundance? Oh wow! Like era well, or days or you know my my mom helped forge my birth certificate so I could get into the 16 and over shows. Um, oh, really? Very nice of her. Probably nice. a little irresponsible for as conservative as she is. Perhaps. Um, <laughs> so I got to see these incredible, incredible shows, you know, and I that venue was awesome. It sounded good. I mean, there was, you know, uh, I was lucky I never got beat up, um, you know, because there was definitely like, 
it was a violent thing, especially because they would book, you know, sick of it all or leeway opening for a big metal band. So nuclear salt leeway, yeah. sick of it all. Yeah. And you know, it was like the combination of people was just really scary, you know, like it could be bad, but you know, it was, it was what it was and it's long Island and you know, but, uh, I mean, probably my favorite, favorite, favorite show of all time, which is, this is going to be really obvious for anybody who was there. Well, I, I'll put two. Sepultura's second show in America. Mm. They played some show upstate, apparently, before they played Sundance. It was the night before my SATs. And I went with Eddie Reyes, who's now famous for being in Take It Back Sunday. Um and, you know, we were like these little metalhead kids. And he's South American. So he was like, oh, my God, Sepultura. Right. And uh, I was standing before the show. Like, we got in early. And we're standing there. And Max Cavalera, who was probably 18 at the time or something, hands me his whiskey. And he's like, I'm going to get a BJ in the back. <laughs> like, he said that to me. I was like, <laughs> okay. And, like, and he I'll hands me his whiskey, whiskey. And I'm like, you know, I'm 16. I'm like, take a sip of his whiskey. Like cool i just got a whiskey <laughs> God, that happened uh, and they were amazing that night amazing and my other favorite 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 show probably my favorite show of all time uh is uh voivod on the nothing face tour with soundgarden and faith no more opening mm. and uh soundgarden was just just incredible like mind-blowingly good that night and i remember frank cariola the owner or somebody maybe it was a frank cariola but somebody came out on stage because chris cornell had kicked out a bunch of lights Oh. And he put a hole in the ceiling with a mic stand. Somebody came out and they were like, this band will never play here again. I could overhear them saying, because I was in the front row waiting for Voivod to come on. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, yeah, no, they won't. <laughs> no, they'll no. never have to play here again. They'll that, never ask to play here They were again. ridiculously incredibly good. Yeah. And they got progressively more boring as time went on. But um, yeah, and Faith No More was horrible. And I don't care. Say you like Faith No More and commentators. You're wrong. Midlife well, crisis, only good faith, no more song. That's the way I feel about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Opinionated. What was the uh, the first record you bought, if you remember? Oh, that's easy. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, the first record I stole from mm-hmm. my sister was Steve Howe Beginnings, the guitar player from Yes. Yes. Um, and it's the reason I play guitar. Uh, although I can never play anything on it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it made me want to play. And then I, I was like, oh, Black Sabbath, this is way easier. Um <laughs> And then uh, uh, my first record I actually bought uh, was Black Sabbath's Greatest Hits, the one with Dante's Inferno on the cover. It's like all the skeletons picking up humans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, that was like the first. I still have it. It's actually behind the bar at, at Vitus. Oh, so, You know, I figured there's a, there's a heavy, you know, we got the picture of us with Iomi, you know, I got, mm-hmm. I got that up there. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's I'm so happy I still have it because I sold a bunch of my collection, but I would never sell that. I don't think anybody would want it anyway. It's like mass produced and, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's not, not worth a, anything. Right. It's a 99 cent bin job, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was like, you know, just mind blowing. And then the, the biggest, probably the biggest like change in, for my life was I was at a church fair at St. Barnabas in North Belmore with my friend, John Tarnowski. And, there was a bin of vinyl and I think I was in seventh grade, maybe early eighth grade. It could have been summertime in between maybe. And there was all this vinyl and staring at me was this devil pointing through fire. And it was merciful fates. Don't break the oath. And it was a dollar bin at a church fair. So we were like, they had to put in the dollar bin at the church fair. You're lucky they sold it. Well, yeah, it was obvious that somebody's mom found it and was like, you can't (laughs) losing this (laughs) Threw it. And you know, we'll sell it at this church fair. So I grabbed it. And, and, um, me and John brought it back to his house and he was going to keep the record because he's, oh, my mom won't care. You know, I think it'll be okay. I was paranoid to bring it home to my house. Why? Uh, I don't know. Because my mom put up with so much stuff with my sisters. Right. My sister had like, you know, ACDC highway to hell covered painted on the back of her denim jacket. And, and, uh, so like he was like, I'm going to keep it. Maybe it was his dollar that we used. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> I had a blank cassette, so I recorded it. And, you know, I whited out over the label and I wrote, you know, I just wrote, I don't even remember, I wrote Merciful Fate on it. And then I took it home and his mom had found the record and destroyed it. <gasps> so a couple of years, I listened to this cassette, I mean, endlessly. And I really didn't know that much about who the band was. I just mm. loved it. I just thought it was so amazing, especially the song, The Oath. It was like, what is this? And later, of course, I found out what that whole thing was, the Church of Satan Oath and all that stuff. And 
and uh, secretly I took it. <laughs> I took the oath. <laughs> I took the oath. And I did because I became a lifer at that point. And, uh, and I was in a friend's room in freshman year in high school, and he was playing King Diamond uh, Fatal Portrait, uh, the song Halloween. Anyway, um, no, that's the Merciful Fate song. Anyway, he's playing the song Halloween by King Diamond. And and I was like, I know this voice. And it all came together for me at that point. And, of course, went and actually bought copies at Slip Disc of of Don't Break the Oath and and, uh, Melissa. And it was like, wow, that was completely life changing. I I didn't even know stuff like that existed. Mm. And it just from that point on in high school, like I just wanted heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And until it got to, in my opinion, one of the heaviest records of all time, which I will play next. Yes. Godflesh. Nice. And I bought Street Cleaner the day it came out. Mm. And it was, oh my God, I didn't think music could get any heavier. Yeah. They've tried. Especially when it came out. Oh, yeah. It that was, period of time was like. Well, people were experimenting with blast beats and stuff at that time, like Morbid Angel and, you know, like some Napalm Death, obviously, stuff like that. But like, this was heavy without being. You know, it was like Sabbath heavy, but down tuned and industrial and just, I, I mean, it was mind blowing. Everything about it was mind blowing to me. Oh, it was like yeah. industrial, but it was crusty, but it was like, it was just everything. Yeah. And I, I just love, love Godflesh. And when they played MDF last year, mm-hmm. it was like, oh yeah, you guys think you're heavy. Cool. And then these two guys who <laughs> look like they just fell out of a pub in Birmingham, right? <laughs> get on stage with a computer and just... I mean, you could feel your face melt. It was like seeing the swans, which obviously was what they wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For anybody who's an old swans fan and then listens to Godflesh and goes, oh, that's where they got it. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like, geez. You know, like, I, I, it was mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Just so much heavier than everybody else. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, but, like, they didn't even take their stuff off the stage. They had, like, cases all over the place. They're just like... Whatever doesn't matter. Justin we'll just Broderick is one that. of those guys that I'm. He was in the <clears throat> lobby at the hotel after mm-hmm. the next day, and I was like, oh, "Oh my god!" Like completely starstruck. Yeah, I, I'm starstruck by very few people. Him, Adam Franklin from Swerve Driver, a couple other people. Anyway, mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe if I ever met Kevin Shields. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was awesome, yeah. just awesome. So that was a big life changing moment for me, and I'm gonna play like rats because yay. Some god flesh. There you go. All right. It's got a big buildup, you know that. Yes, it does. Uh, wow. It almost went into ass suck real quick. Oh, <laughs> well, what would be wrong with that? Nothing. It's Nothing only 55 seconds. I should just let it play. I know. Yeah. I know. That was like one, one tenth of an ass suck song. I know. <laughs> so, uh, my guess is Artie Shepard 
And we're pretty close to winding things down. Just tell us about what we did just here. Oh, you just heard a band called Acme uh, from Bremen, Germany. Uh, yeah. The song was called, uh, well, the, the song was called Blind. Sorry. I, I, uh, the oh. the seven inch is called To Reduce the Choir to a Soloist. Mm-hmm. It, uh, yeah, I played with them uh, in Germany in 1993 or 94. And it was such a great lineup. It was Avail, mm. Bad Trip, Mind Over Matter, and Acme. Which was like, so I was playing in two bands. Right. Um, it was in Baden-Baden, but it was like a bunch of tours sort of combined. And Acme was incredible. And I was like, oh my God, I love this band so much. So I bought their 7-inch and brought it home and played it on my radio show and did like as much as I could. But apparently they they did pretty well for themselves. Like people found out about them eventually. At mm-hmm. the time, it wasn't really that big of a thing. Yeah. They're awesome. So good live. So heavy. <laughs> and what did I play before that? Oh, Merciful Fate, Desecration of Souls, of course, you know. We're all finding out how to go to a cemetery and desecrate some souls. It's all good. <laughs> There's the, the instruction. Yeah, the, the, listen to the whole record. It's instructions for everything. Right. Come to the Sabbath. Come on. Come. Come. <laughs> come. Come with us. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, I just... You know, for you, I would just want to mention the stvitusbar.com is where you can find out about what's going on at that uh, fabulous venue. Yes. And well, it's it's a bar. We call it we call it a bar. A, the venue part is supplementary, well, but, you know. Was it planned or was it to well, be a venue? The place was too big to just be a bar, so, yeah. you know. But no, it was not planned to be a venue. Cuz I do remember hearing like Oh, oh yeah, they're they're having some shows at this new place. Yeah, I really only go to bars if there are shows. And somebody said, "Yeah, well, you know, it's a small room in the back, and you know, it's okay for for some shows." And I thought it wasn't quite as small as I expected. Yeah, well, you know, in the very competitive, you know, bar world of you know Brooklyn, is uh, you kind of have to have something happening to get people, especially where we are, which is way out of the way. Right. No, it's realistically, it's not that out of the way, but when you have six other places you can go on your way. Uh, right, exactly. Some <laughs> people never make it there. Some well, I mean, I but, gonna go. but they do now because, you yeah. know, once you go there once, you're like, oh, this isn't that hard to get to. It's not that big a deal. And, you know, where else do you get to drink while listening to, you know, I'm trying to think of something really, I've been, I've been thanked so many times for weird stuff. Like, like I can't believe I'm drinking while listening to Gojira. I'm like, all oh, right, cool, man. You know, like, I didn't even know I had it on the playlist, but that's cool. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I'm sure I did. I have so many playlists, like, you know, I, I can't keep track of it. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, just for me to be able to drink, listening to Merciful Fate, you know, like... Uh, With other people instead of sitting home and, you know... Right, exactly. Well, it, it, when, we, when I used to tour all the time, we would always get dragged out to the metal clubs. You know, oh, you're like metal? Okay, cool. We'll take you to this place, take you to this place. And I remember this, going to this place, Garlic and Shots, in London. It's, it's a basement. It's a garlic restaurant, but in the basement is this bar with no windows. They only sell two beers, and they have a bunch of shots. Mm. And they were playing The Shining, the Swedish Shining. Oh, yeah. And Norwegian, I, there. I think. No, the Norwegian one is the, oh, oh, the one. The, the crazy. Yeah, the crazy. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. The mm-hmm. Swedish one is the one with the guy who cuts himself. <sighs> he thinks he's in neglect. He's not. Um, <laughs> and uh, so you, you got to be from Long Island to do that stuff. Anyway, so, yeah, it was like... Uh, I just had this experience. I was like, this is awesome. This is my dream. I was by myself. Mm. It was awesome. So, you know, I'm always happy when people can kind of like have friends, drink beer and listen to music that they would never expect to have on, you know, because the common person would walk in and go, oh, this is horrifying. But it's not. Once you do it once, you're like, this is great. Yeah. Drinking beer and metal go together. Yay. And I think that's something (laughs) that people do take for granted, you know, sometimes and and. As a showgoer in New York, you know, you go to these bigger venues and you just sort of tune out what they're playing until the band comes on. Right, of course. You know. But you, it's the whole thing is to make it a, a complete experience. Yeah. Like you want, like, all of that mm-hmm. to be cool. And, and, you know, like, I I tend to shy away from, like, if we have a, you know, like um, like a band like Polar Bear Club or one of these sort of, like, emo-y type warp Tour bands, like, mm-hmm. Let Live played recently. And, like, my partner's like, oh, we should put this on. I'm like, no, just play metal. Just play metal. It just feels good. It feels right. Yeah. That's the thing. You walk any space like it like the atmosphere is dictated by the space and the music is dictated by the atmosphere. So it's like like this feels right. Mm-hmm. You know, like playing other things like, you know, stuff I used to play at bars I used to work at, it doesn't feel right. You mm-hmm. know, like I used to, like at a work at a restaurant I'd have to play Elbow, who were one of my favorite bands. But you know, like 
you'd like it made sense in a restaurant. It doesn't make sense at St. Vitus. Yeah. St. Vitus feels that way. Red candles, black walls, the whole nine. So it's like a gigantic Merciful Fate song. <laughs> that is a perfect description. Yes. <clears throat> so for upcoming shows, you can look at uh, stvitusbar.com and uh, great stuff lined up for, for, let's see how far it goes. So to mid 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 March, mid, no mid April, mid April. Diamond Head, four twelve. Yeah, and Cauldron. We just yes. added Cauldron on from Toronto. Mm-hmm. Great band. Nice. Oh, look, Absu Tombs. Mm. And Kralis is playing the other Absu show. Oh, good. So, good. so stacking those shows ever so wonderfully. And uh, yeah, so so check that out. And Primitive Weapons, of course, creating and playing some great stuff. And I and I wanted to thank you for coming up. Doing, doing the thing that you do because creating the atmosphere is a big deal, and keeping the scene alive in New York is a big deal. And I'm I always talk about the scene, but that's sort of the I mean scene. I I grew up in the music scene, and if it weren't for a music scene, I, you know I don't know where I would be at. I totally agree. Well, yeah. I mean I've always you know I've always said that uh, there are certain people I can blame for making my mother sad. Mm. You know? <laughs> Tony Iommi, you know, whatnot, uh, Justin Broderick. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, I hate to use the word scene because that's so youth culture oriented. And it's like, you know, I always think hardcore scene and that's so youth culture and that right. sort of thing, but it's a music scene and that's a good way of putting it. You know, it's like people who gravitate towards that. And as limited as that's gotten recently, because there's, you know, in the past, 20 years there's been so much more distraction so it takes away from people really falling in love with music there are people there who are into music and it's awesome yeah. it's awesome to see you know people get just like grow up pick up instruments want to buy records i mean who buys records anymore it's like right and i see it every day and it's awesome it's really it is. cool yeah so thanks for carrying the torch for it's, i'm i'm, I'm know, not to be thanked for that for the but music. it's it's uh i'm it's, thanking you anyway thank you diane thank you for doing <laughs> everything you do diane and loving voivod i'm actually i'm actually thought again about what song i want to play last yes so i was gonna play my favorite paul mccartney solo song anybody who's been with me at the bar at 4 30 in the morning knows mm-hmm. when i've had a few too many i like to play this song but i'm not gonna play it so <laughs> All right. i'm gonna i'm gonna play a song for you diane oh okay and, and uh well, are, that's are, kind of a relief are we ready yes we are ready right, it's because it's got a long intro so we can talk over the beginning of it a little bit okay but uh yeah it's it's my favorite voivod song called Tribal Convictions. It is. And it's amazing. Artie Shepard, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Diane. I appreciate it. And that wraps it up for today's podcast. Thank you to Lita Martinez for editing the podcast and to Liz Berg for all the other background work. We are WFMU.